Before we kick off this episode, just want to say a quick thank you so much to Jennifer and Toby, who support us at the highest level of Rainbow Parent on our Patreon. We love you. On with the podcast. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I am Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is queer, queer character, character study. study. Ooh, yes, very good. Um, today so we're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna be talking about uh, apparently, according to like critics and stuff. <laughs> what do they know? Um, one of the best films of the year, starring Kate Blanchett, Tar. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> also, we're recording this the week that the Oscar nominations came out, and uh, Tar got a fair few nods. Mm-hmm. We don't know why. Um, uh, listen, let's not spoil our thoughts about this movie to begin with. It's one of those movies where I'm like, there's really a lot to talk about. Not because I'm excited and I'm like, wow, there's so much to talk about, but because I'm like, oh, I guess there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> but before we get into exactly what we thought about the movie, um, Jazza, what is the gayest thing that you've done since last episode? Okay, so, um, hi, I'm Jazza, I I live in New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the really uh, joyful things that I have started doing is going to bars to watch season 15 of RuPaul's Drag Race. Incredible. Because we don't have that when you're watching it um, in other countries because it comes out at like four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and some people are still at bars at that time and i can tell you i am not, not um one of so them. Uh, we're recording this on a friday and i am after this gonna go out and oh. watch sasha colby win how about you rowan what's the gayest thing that you have done um i went to a queer sci-fi and fantasy event which was really mm. exciting with three wonderful queer writers um including cl clark who is one of the sapphic trifecta i think is what they have been named by tiktok (laughs) um he wrote the unbroken and then also everina maxwell who is the author of the new book oceans echo and also winter's orbit that was one of my favorite uh books of last year and also shares the same literary agent as me it turns out which is very fun so it was a very gay night. The circles in which you mix the Venn, the Venn diagram goodness. is a circle. It was truly, <laughs> all of the queers know each other. It's just a matter of who knows who. Pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, when we make kind of like the big fuss of like, I don't know every gay person. It turns out, actually, we do. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's a Discord. You know, group at least one. Yeah, on. exactly. If you've not mm-hmm. been added to it yet, you know, get on that. Yeah. Are you really queer? Okay. Shall we talk about this fucking movie? Let's then? do it. <laughs> Great. If you're new around here, here's like a little, here's a breakdown of what to expect over the episode. So first of all, we're going to give a little bit of a background. Uh, Rowan's gone away, done a little bit of research and is going to be talking about... Research is a strong word. Uh, has Well, Rowan has opinions in her head and she will share them. Uh, and is going to talk about the queer appeal of Kate Blanchett. For me, that's just kind of like all of the homoeroticism in um, that Oceans movie that she was in. Mm-hmm. And then also we're going to dive into a little bit of the criticism that this movie has had around the way that it portrays women in the arts and women in power. Ooh. Then we will, of course, be reviewing the plot, splitting the film into our three acts, as always. We'll be uh, spoiling this movie. So if you care about that and you want to go into things fresh, make sure to watch the movie before listening to the rest of this episode. So without further ado, let's get up in our Monster Hunter cosplay for some reason and review Tar. Okay, so I'm going to start with um, my silly little context for this one, because it, it this genre of like character study doesn't necessarily have a ton of context for us to like dig into in the way that like horror, for example, would do with queerness we've done before. So I thought my bit of context would just be a fun little thing about Kate Blanchett. Blanchett? <laughs> Blanchett? Who knows? So Pink News, for example, in 2020. So this is like even before Tara is like a thing. 
did this like breakdown of all of the reasons why she is like a queer icon. So obviously Carol is a huge one. Mm -hmm. She studied for her role apparently by reading banned girl on girl books. She said in an interview after being in Oceans 8 together and having like a shit ton of chemistry, her and Sarah mm -hmm. Paulson have like this very sweet uh, friendship together. And she's obviously queer icon Sarah Paulson, mm -hmm. who is actually queer. She's basically, she's just seems like she does the bare minimum of like some of the points on this list are like she supports same-sex marriage wow. wow incredible there's like her aesthetic is sort of gay in that like you know there was a period where she had a little quiff situation going on <laughs> a little quiff situation she apparently has performed in drag at the stonewall inn as you do amazing um, so yeah, essentially she, all of these things have happened. She's been in like other like notes on her scandal as well, like kind of LGBTQ plus films. But I think the particularly funny bit about all of this is that she was asked in an interview about the fact that she's like a, a, a lesbian icon. And, mm -hmm. and I quote, she said, yeah, baby, that's so nice. Don't know what it means, but it's nice. Yeah, cool. I'll take it. <laughs> Which to me is just like such a classic, like the gays latch on to a straight person and there's like, and a, the it's really person, not like, about them. Panic. Yeah, the straight person, like it's really nothing to do with them. Like it's actually completely to do with the community around them, which I think happens for a lot of like fandoms where the original source material sort of like isn't actually that important anymore. Like anyone who's been in the, I don't know, the Teen Wolf or the Supernatural fan fandoms will know that, um, yeah, that show could have like just stopped airing a decade ago and, and the fandom would have just continued as, as if nothing had changed, truly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, I think that it's one of those examples of like a straight person getting this kind of queer icon status because of that and then having been cast in this role which is a lesbian u-haul lesbian was the uh quote the, unquote the name that she gave herself although i would i mean that's not the lesbian label that i would give her like i feel like that was just a weird we'll talk about that scene later because i think that's one of the most controversial scenes in the movie yeah but i was like that's actually kind of not what she is she's just like a fuck boy <laughs> like that's yeah. not what you or lesbian is mm -hmm. but yeah she's also when she's been interviewed about this movie in particular it's like very much that classic those classic phrases that we get about how like oh it was great they you know this this movie tar is like her being a lesbian it's not what's important, like, and that's, <laughs> and that's how we should be doing gay movies. And I'm like, I don't know if it's your particular place to to say that, Kate. Um, but I guess I appreciate your opinion as a as a straight woman. So she talks about the fact that like the characters are so nuanced. You know, what I love about the story that Todd wrote and the way he directed it and the way we approached it is their same sex relationship just was. It's not the subject matter of the film nor the characters' genders, but like. There's a part of me that's like, actually, a lot of the themes of this film, the gender is quite important. <laughs> like, that actually is yeah. quite a big part of it. Like, not just like literally from the idea of like gender equality that's very, very obvious in the script, but also the question of like, what would have been different about this movie if if this character had been like Liam Tarr? Mm -hmm. And actually, a lot would have been different, I think, in terms of the way that it's been the kind of implications of it. So, yeah, an interesting sort of... Uh, bit of context there about about that and i think always interesting to see obviously you know the author's dead and everything so we can say that it doesn't really matter what kate i love how i'm just calling her kate as if she's my main yeah, 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 oh, yeah, katie intended or Catherine <laughs> intended um or what she was going for but still interesting to know i think that's where her head was at in this yeah jumping off of the back of that so the the context i wouldn't have this movie came on my radar when Kate did an interview with the Today program because I am a 70 year old man and listen to the Today program every morning where she was given some of the criticism uh, that has been directed towards the movie specifically from a real life female maestro conductor who also happens to be a lesbian, who also happens to have a child um, called Merin Alsop, who uh, I didn't I didn't know who she was, but um, is very famous, is like a big trailblazer for women in uh, music, mm. uh, in the classical music space. And uh, you would understand why Merin Alsop, one of the most prominent women in conducting, uh, who also happens to be a lesbian, maybe thought that this film came for her <laughs> uh, a little bit, because there aren't many people who share that kind of profile. And she hated this movie. So she said that the movie and the portrayal was 
wrong. And I'm going to quote you here in an interview in the Times. Alsop said, all women and feminists should be bothered by that kind of depiction because it's not really about women conductors, is it? It's about women as leaders in our society. People can ask, can we trust them? Can they function in that role? It's the same questions whether it's about a CEO or an MBA coach. And then she goes on to say that the characteristics that Tar has in the movie. Tar is, by the way, a completely fictional character. The characteristics that she has are generally characteristics of being abusive, manipulative, power hungry, and all of those kinds of things that tend to fall and and be associated with men and masculinity. And it is implied that Alsop was a bit annoyed that the first prominent movie about a female conductor portrays that woman in such a negative way what do you think of that i mean i think that it's not out to be like representation of female conductors you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i feel like that's kind of it could have been any rat like conductor works because i mean there's like very glaringly obvious big monologue at the beginning about how the conductor basically like controls everything and is the like nothing can start or end and so if you're someone who's into power you have a character who's into power, that makes sense in the same way as like you could have had it be like a business person or like some other like Mm -hmm. better metaphor than a business person. But you know what I mean? So I wouldn't necessarily say that it feels like it's deliberately a rumination on like female conductors in particular. I did feel like there was potentially a lot that I missed in this movie about like that was like references to music i'm like yeah i don't understand music at all like i'm not a music person no one is musical in my family i have zero idea what all the references were when she was talking i was like sure 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 it really had the energy of like when i watch a movie uh with any sports in it i feel like we maybe talked about this before on the podcast but any sports or any card games like any movies with poker being a big or gambling being like a big part of the finale Mm I simply don't understand what's happening. And I don't, I'm like relying on the reactions of the extras to like figure out what the stakes are and figure out like whether they won or not, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I truly don't understand. And I feel like there was probably a lot of that going on in this movie of those references in there. But I think at its heart, it is just like kind of this, a bit of a classic tale of like someone whose drive and obsession and ambition is ultimately sort of their downfall. Mm -hmm. That's also crossed with a abuse of power story at the same time. Yeah, it is. It it is like a a a piece about power and how it corrupts and uh, what people do in order to try and hold on to that power and how they abuse it. Kate, like like you said, the author is dead, but Kate Blanchett really doesn't want this to be uh, like about the fact that Tara is a lesbian. But that is a that is a choice that they made that mm. the director and the writer Todd Field made to make this character a woman and a lesbian and so i feel like we can't ignore that and just say oh yeah it's just about power it isn't it's a it is about a woman in a traditionally male-dominated space who is also queer um and uses her identity in a way to be able to say stuff that maybe a male composer wouldn't be able to do Mm -hmm. to be in spaces and considered in a way that maybe a cishet conductor wouldn't be able to do i think it's really integral to the story yeah and i find it quite confusing the way that they have tried or the way that in interviews that i've read that blanchett has tried to kind of be like oh it's just it's just by the by she just happens to be it's nothing to do with the plot i'm like it kind of is <laughs> and i and i think that that might have worked if this were like about about a real person but mm. this is a made-up character that they have actively given all of these attributes. Yeah. And so it has to be something that we consider. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Good. Excellent. I'm glad. So um, end of the podcast. That's, that's cool. it. Uh, we figured it out. <laughs> I mean, I say figuring it out because genuinely this like, I really just never knew what I was meant to be getting from this movie. And I'm sure some people will tell me that's kind of the point, but I felt like some elements of it was so obviously like symbolic or ham-fisted in their delivery that they was clearly trying to tell me something. And I'm like, am I just too stupid to understand what you're trying to say here? Like, I really didn't know what the like, how we were meant to feel at any point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a lot of movies, that's fair enough because it's like, okay, like you make up your own decision about this character, but just some of the scenes were so extreme in their like characterization. So like unnaturalistic that I was like, well, there's clearly something more than just you're presenting a neutral look at someone's 
like the end of someone's career, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it was just on the mo those movies where I was like, am I just too dumb to understand what this movie is about or too bored? Or was there not enough information for me to like properly glean this? I found so much of this. It, I'm so glad you said bored because I, I, I think this is a great performance and mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 it. All I'm gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> I met. So I messaged Jazza to be like the beginning of this, the the first sort of half of it, because we so we obviously always split our the movie into thirds. Mm -hmm. I think very deliberately this movie because it's so meta did a big thing with time, where basically the entire plot happens in the last like thirty minutes of the movie. Yeah, and so it's like oh the control she's slow at the beginning and then the frenzy the frenzied pace, but it's like two and a half hours long, and I'm like this could have mm -hmm. so easily been so much shorter, and like. It felt like a one act, one woman play almost. Like it felt like it was, it could have just been someone performing this one. The first hour is yeah. basically Kate Blanchett just monologuing. monologuing. And she's a great monologuist. And like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm like, that's, that would totally have worked. But then it just sort of like all started. I don't know, unraveling for me. Yeah. Do we have any more context before we, because we essentially have just given away some of what we already thought about it without even talking about the plot yet. So should we go on to the plot or is there anything else we want to talk about with the the context of this movie? Nah, let's, let's plot it, baby. Let's get into the plot. Okay, so I have called act one Lydia Tarr owns BIPOC pangender cuck. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you'd agree with that assessment. I love it. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, Oof. here's the thing. This is a really long movie, but I feel like I can reasonably speed through it because so much stuff is just like, okay, first of all, there's a 10 minute scene where she's being interviewed for the New Yorker festival and she just talks about new projects she has. Is it only 10 minutes? It I feels don't know how like the hell forever. Long ago it, was. it feels like forever. And it's like big um, Lydia Tarr lore dump at the very beginning of the movie. Yes, yeah. we love to lore dump. So she's like going to be doing a live recording of some fifth symphony that I'm sure is very resonant and, and metaphoric and has uh, connotations. And also, her book tar on tar which sounds like an alan partridge <laughs> book i'm not gonna lie to you right incredible and during that scene they discuss a bunch of stuff that i'm sure again was really important but i honestly couldn't remember it by the time i was halfway through the movie so i'm sure it was very i don't know resonant it had some foreboding in it oh and she i mean she frames herself as i am hi i we don't need feminism anymore women are everywhere we don't mm -hmm. need to help women to be in the arts anymore i've done yeah. feminism it yeah, the feminists were mm -hmm. before me, but now feminism is over because I'm doing well. And then she goes to lunch with an investment banker called Elliot, who's the, founded this like foundation with her to support aspiring female conductors. And then during this meeting, she's like, I feel like we should just like have men in this foundation as well, right? Bro? Yeah, I feel like it's done. It, I <laughs> it's feel like done it's done job. what we wanted it to I achieve. Think I think it's good. And instead, but I think it's interesting instead of them being like, so I don't think we need the program anymore. It's like, I think we should just have men. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. sure why not and also interesting that she's like clearly not talking about opening up to like non-binary people or people who don't necessarily because we as we find out later she hates the pangenders woke she hates the woke <laughs> she hates the pangenders and pandas this is in this conversation it's when were we are first dropped the name of an ex-lover and ex-student of Lydia um, called Krista, mm -hmm. where they talk about the fact that all of the women who have been on the program have done uh, really, really well. They've all been um, had positions uh, and are working. Oh, apart from Krista, do you have any idea about that? And we get seeded the fact that Lydia- There's some law uh, there. Maybe there's a law there. And we see that uh, there's maybe a little bit more um, to what we understand. We're also introduced to Lydia's assistant, Mm, Francesca. Uh, Francesca, who is French, and they, I don't think the movie ever explicitly says this, um, but the Wikipedia says that it's true, and there's definitely the underlying feeling that there was something romantic there as well, mm -hmm. and this lady now um, organises the diary of uh, Lydia, of Lydia Tarr. Did lots of um, editing her Wikipedia page. It's a full-time job. Um, so much stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, under uh, Who knew the life of a classical conductor could be that in intense in Berlin? We then move on to, again, like this, and you might say, this seems very disjointed, you guys. What's happening? And I'd be like, yeah, that's welcome to the movie. Um, yeah, that's that's not just us this time. That's, that's just, it just keeps going. So then we get to the scene that has been much like 
memed, which is the guest lecturer scene where basically mm-hmm. she teaches like a masterclass at Juilliard, I think it is. And yeah. um, there's like a com- this composer, uh, not composer, conductor who's up at the front and does the she does the classic, you know, guest lecturer thing of being like, okay, stop, stop, stop. Let me just ask you some questions. What are we like? What are you feeling in this moment? Blah blah blah. Why did you come to Juilliard? Like, what? Yeah, is like, blah, blah, what's your? Yeah, what yeah, are you yeah. even trying to do here, man? And the <laughs> student Max basically says, you know, as someone who's bipoc, pangender, I don't necessarily like uh, white cisgender composers like like Buck like then don't really speak to me and so she does the classic like oh you stupid gen z idiot like mm-hmm. you woke Can't little you just snowflake like listen if we look past the superficial differences and focus on the music itself everything would be better which you know here's here's the thing for me in that scene i don't think it's a bad thing that they had a scene where we sh- were shown a bit of her character where we get not just that she thinks that like we're past feminism, but she's like the beautifulness of the music, the greatness of the music should override any personal issues or anything, any like transgressions that they've done or anything mm-hmm. in these characters or these like uh, historical figures pasts, because it's like, oh, it's almost like you're gonna probably think that about yourself later on when you, when it comes out that you have these bad things you've done and you think that your work should speak for itself and everyone should just not think about it. But I wish that they'd had a more like nuanced or stronger example to to show the strength of her conviction of that matter because like it just seemed like such a ridiculous scene to be like have a student say this but then never not be able to back themselves up on their opinion like not even Mm -hmm. being able to name anything that buck had done other than like having too many kids like yeah there are actual like people within the music industry who were even mentioned later on in a different scene in a different context where they could rightfully have been like i feel like you know because of the way that this x y and z had like i i just don't feel like i can put my passion into the music of someone that i have knowledge of something that i've done that isn't isn't so great like that Mm -hmm. is something that just like is a feeling for me or it's a principle for me and had like an actual back and forth but instead this character max just goes you're a fucking bitch and storms out yeah and then and then she's like your composer is social media and i was like is this like an snl sketch like (laughs) It felt, this is what I mean about like trying to hit you over the head with meaning. But I was like, there was room to actually do meaning in an interesting way with almost this exact same scene, but actually letting both of them argue with each other in in an interesting and an actual way where she is she's put up against someone who genuinely has a reason to not be comfortable not interested or not invested in a particular type of conductor and her being able to push against it. And you really get the feeling of her, how strongly she feels about this Mm -hmm. or how she how much she's already thought about it or whatever it is you want to say. But it just felt like a bit of a joke scene that like obviously now everyone's just parodying. Yeah, I I, th- I agree that I think it could have been a really interesting commentary critique, but I, I didn't really know what the movie was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like both of the characters come away from it. N- well, actually, I think we're meant to come away from it siding with Lydia yeah. as like Lydia has owned them. And I'm like, is that what this movie is trying to say like it makes the the character max seem really ridiculous childish paints them in a really negative light Mm -hmm. and the thing is there is a really interesting discussion to have there around i mean we talk about it all the time are you able to separate the artist and the art Mm -hmm. but it just turned it into this weird kind of like leg shaking shouting oh, yeah. match it's also like it's like almost it felt like someone had asked like a sort of conservative commentator to write a script of what they think happens in the yeah in the master classes of juilliard with the cancel culture gen Zers, not what someone who's actually had a discussion with someone who believes this stuff actually thinks about the reasoning behind engaging or not engaging with particular like pieces of art or particular like musicians or things like that where this is not what it looks like right for the most part Mm -hmm. and it felt very i don't know like weirdly bad faith and like slightly disingenuous to have this as like the representation of young people today it was just a very bizarre Mm -hmm. choice to me um especially when we're setting up this beginning which is like showing her in her element as like this confident person who we don't mm-hmm. quite know her skeletons in the closet yet. And so we're, it's like showing her in what's like kind of meant to be her best light. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting one. So that scene, you know, happens, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and just one more thing kind of, I understand, 
understand that this is a film from Lydia's perspective, but I think that it, and, and maybe this is what it was trying to do, but it really only focuses on kind of like almost like this this older generation. I've made it pulling up the ladder mm. view of the world that is very ungenerous to every other character in the movie. Mm. And so you end up seeing yourself like I I didn't come away liking Max. I didn't come away liking any of the support characters apart from maybe Francesca because mm. I thought she was a bit of a badass yeah, and maybe the wife true. as well. But yeah, it was didn't like Lydia either just a, but no. and also like I here's the thing though if you were if we were meant to not like these characters like make me not like them in a smart way sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. don't just put a parody on screen Do you know what I mean I'm like I'm fine with you making a movie about idiots like I'm fine with you making a par- making a movie about people that we're not meant to like and that it's like this is the worst of every angle of this debate or whatever but like Give me something actually believable, not this like weird parody of that situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, like just watch any of those stupid, what's vice, like feminist, anti-feminist oh, debate sure. yeah. things. And you can find a more like realistic version of even the most extremes of these beliefs. Mm-hmm. So once we've had these sort of three scenes laid out before us with like the tiniest little vignettes in between, we find out that she has had a copy of... Vita Sackville West's novel Challenge left for her mysteriously, which clearly means something. I mean, obviously, Vita's very sapphic. So, you know, it's a lesbian in joke, uh, I guess. Thank you for giving me the context. I was missing that. Yeah, I don't know anything about the novel, though. So I'm sure, again, there was some very smart reference that I don't understand. Um, but, But very quickly, she's back in her house in Berlin. Turns out she's very rich. This house is so big. And Berlin is mm-hmm. not a cheap city. And so we have we meet up with her wife. We found out she has this this wife who she has a very old married couple relationship with, seemingly the classic, mm-hmm. like, stop scolding me, like, oh, I tried calling you, you must have been asleep, like, you know, classic um stuff. And then the wife's, you know, I'm worried about Petra, who's their daughter, who just calls mm-hmm. Lydia Lydia the entire time, never calls her mum once in the movie, which I yeah. is a classic like, this child is not attached securely and healthily to her parent. <laughs> Calling her by the first name, that's a that's a flag, you guys. Don't know if you picked up on that, like cinema going <laughs> audiences. It's pretty subtle. Not- um and and it is very good. Thank you for clarifying that with the Thank you. I've had to clarify my sarcasm. Mm-hmm. It's very kind of you for the Americans listening. Mm-mm. So we end up, we're here in Berlin, beautiful city, really lovely. Um, and she, her day job is being the maestro of the Berlin Orchestra. And they are interviewing, auditioning for a new cellist position. And in the toilets, Lydia spots some really fancy boots and then is attracted to the lady who is attached to them, a young Russian cellist called Olga. And the auditions are blind, so they're done behind a uh, a panel. But Lydia then later once uh, Olga has finished auditioning, sees the boots kind of like walk up a flight of stairs and knows that that last audition was Olga and then changes her score so that Olga gets into the orchestra so that then she can be incredibly inappropriate. And then at a later date, we like there's this whole thing, there's processes they have to have. Um, She's technically not part of the orchestra yet. There's like a probation period. Uh, But Lydia takes Olga to dinner and Olga has terrible, terrible table manners that really bugged me. like it was, it was just really disgusting watching her eat. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I didn't enjoy the scene one bit. But they talk about kind of like this solo that Olga did. Lydia looks up that solo online and then decides that one of the songs songs is it a song? One of the pieces yeah, they're the going pieces, to play. The compositions, of- the companion piece to the mm-hmm. fifth symphony is yes, of course, that the B side. Mysteriously, that cello piece. What? What? The one that she knows that Olga is going to do very well. Usually this would go to the lead, the solo would go to the lead cellist, but Lydia decides, oh, we're going to do open auditions. First cellist? Is that what they're called? First cellist? Sure. First violin? I don't know. <laughs> I will say what's interesting about that lunch that she has with the cellist is, I don't know if you noticed, but like 
every single thing that happened in that scene with the cellist was emphasizing how young she was. Mm -hmm. So it was like, she learned, she like first started learning on YouTube. She has like no understanding of like fancy people's dinner, like going to mm -hmm, this nice mm -hmm. restaurant. She talks about her studies. She's vegan. She's vegan. She has a teddy bear for God's sake. Like it very mm -hmm. much is like that. So you have somehow managed to skip all the way to my act two, Jazza. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, so I'm gonna what are very we? quickly skip back up if I, okay. if you will allow me to, to a bit before that, which I think is interesting that she essentially starts to slightly lose it. Uh, all mm. of the things that happen later where she like actually loses it. Sort of start now. They're not even starting when we get these trigger points. So like she hears this woman screaming or she's out on a run. She starts hearing mm -hmm. noises that she can't find the source of that, that then go quiet when she starts looking for them. And she also has coffee with a composer dude or a conductor man. I don't know, whatever. They're having it's coffee her together. Mentor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We never see him anywhere else other than just having coffee twice with her. But he, mm -hmm. they have this conversation basically all about the idea of like how personal, I think it was, quote, it was like personal and professional failings aren't relevant to the work. And it's like he, the conversations that she has with him are very much about the idea of like, yeah, it doesn't matter what you were doing in private. Like no one should be talking about the bad things you did. Everything is fine because mm. the art speaks for itself. More of that conversation that they do very blatantly in this movie, but don't necessarily do in an interesting way. Anyway, on to act two, which I've called Tar is fucking around. Let's see if she's going to find out. <laughs> yeah, very good. On the nose. Great. Hello, dear listener. It's Jazza here. Just reading some ads for you. As I'm sure you're aware, we are part of the wonderful multitude who create loads of really fantastic podcasts for your ear canals, and we like to give a shout out to one of our siblings from Multitude every single week, and this time, it's the turn of Join the Party. Join the Party is an actual play podcast with tangible worlds, genre-pushing storytelling, and collaborators who just make each other laugh each week. DM Eric and the emphatic players Amanda, Brandon and Julia welcome everyone to the table from long-time tabletop RPG players to folks who've never touched a role-playing game in their lives. If you're not sure where to start, hop into the campaign, a monster of the week story set in a weird and wild summer camp, or you can marathon the D&D game with Campaign 2 for a modern-day comic book superpowered story, and Campaign 1 for a high fantasy epic. Whatever adventure you choose, you are invited to hang out with that crew each month for their after party, a session held to discuss campaigns, joke around, and answer any listener questions. So, my dear friends, what are you waiting for? Are you a D&D nerd like me and Rowan? I can recommend join the party wholeheartedly. Pull up a chair and Join the party. Just search for Join the Party in your podcast app or go to jointhepartypod.com. We are also continuing to be supported by Squarespace, who can help you buy a domain and create a website. We, in the past, have talked about how we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to analytics, the creation of email campaigns, because now that Twitter's dying... I feel like email newsletters are the only way to go forward. Uh, and also, it's a handy place for us to connect all of our social media in one place. We know you hear a lot of your favourite media offering their own discount codes, but it would really mean a lot if you chose to support us by using R1 here at the Queer Movie Podcast. All you need to do is go to squarespace.com slash queermovie, and when you're all set up to make all of your digital dreams come true, you can use the offer code QUEERMOVIE to save 10 percentage points off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Just go to squarespace.com slash QUEERMOVIE. Now, back to the show. 
this act opens with like her conducting for the first time. We see her with like the dramatic sort of Dutch angle vibes of the poster and the trailers. Mm -hmm. And she, you see her in her element. So like she decides that one of the musicians needs to be behind like the curtain playing in a different room because she just feels yeah. like that's the energy. And instead of like mm -hmm. trusting him to it be able to, to give that. It needs to sound like it's coming over the hill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's like, I don't actually trust you to be able to do that. Put him in the other room, please. Mm -hmm. She's very like confident, expressive, very intense, but very like demanding and exacting at the same time. And she's decided that she wants to rotate out the assistant conductor, Sebastian, because he's like old and wrong and she doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. He like starts to make suggestions and she's like, no, thank you. And talks to someone else in the orchestra who's like, yeah, I guess we'll do a vote. And she's like, no, we won't. <laughs> he's going. Sorry, I make the decisions here, buddy. There was part of me that quite enjoyed this part of the dynamic where she's fucking over the men. Especially there is the scene where Sebastian comes up after the rehearsal and says, and gives one piece of critique and mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, something about like clarinets bar seven. Shit, yeah. yeah, the clarinet, blah, blah, blah. Uh, clarinets are too loud. And Classic clarinets am i right <laughs> am i right oh god it does lizzo play the clarinet or is it the flute the flute who cares the flute i do <laughs> i care about lizzo's flute so these the three women it's lydia one of the uh, like i guess the the chief administrative officer and the first violinist who is Lydia's wife are sat there kind of like having a conversation and debriefing then he comes up solo and you can see by the fact that he's standing there kind of like relaxed sitting they don't move he moves to accommodate them and it's clear the power dynamics are so clear and the fact that especially in like these male dominated spaces it is going to so often be the opposite way around mm -hmm. i really enjoyed actually that flipping of that and seeing an old man be in that vulnerable mm -hmm. position where he leaves and then the women say what they actually thought about his mm -hmm. feedback and then he's losing his job because um he's not sleeping with lydia oh well oopsie um so it's also at this point that uh remember krista from earlier that uh former fellow of the program that was mentioned he wasn't doing so good she's really mm -hmm. doing not not at all good because she's dead so that's the, the some would argue the least good you could be some would yeah. some would and tar you know some also might say very suspiciously is saying to her assistant francesca hey you should delete all of those emails that we ever sent mm -hmm. to her that she ever sent to us as francesca's literally crying being like i need someone to hold me like oh god krista yeah. i can't believe krista's gone and she's like cool 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 how about we destroy all of the evidence francesca <laughs> it's like oh yeah and for, well because francesca has given us a heads up beforehand that the emails are still coming and they're seeming more and more desperate mm -hmm. and so when francesca comes up and then uh, like announces the death of Krista it's clear to me that she feels guilty about that because mm -hmm. she's just been ignoring all of these emails about how badly everything yeah. uh, is going and we essentially find out later that the emails that have been sent by Lydia by Tar about Krista are essentially like blacklisting her from the industry like anyone who comes to her for a recommendation mm -hmm. is like do not basically it's like the burn book from Mean Girls sure it's like yeah. Krista is a fugly slut do not trust her <laughs> in your orchestra she's also she's bad at music and similarly like Chris has been sending like really, really desperate emails. And so, but at this point we don't really, you know, so oh, we don't quite know what's going on. We just know this woman has died and like, maybe there's something sus happening. Mm -hmm. At this point also, we we find out some information from Sebastian as Tar lets him go that might start to shed light on these emails and this situation with Krista, which is that he sort of implies is maybe too light of a word. He basically is like, everyone knows that you exchange sexual favors for places in this orchestra. Mm -hmm. And she's like, how dare you? And he's like, oh, I didn't mean it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, so she's fired him um, or rotated him out yeah, or whatever fired the him. means fired him uh, and banished she him then... to another orchestra which isn't <laughs> in Berlin he was like my whole family's here and she's like tough shit Sebi the only place we belong to is the podium and <laughs> fuck off um, uh, she then asks Francesca to look for create a list of the replacement and then as an afterthought goes oh and feel free to put your name on the list as well. Hmm. We later find out 
shouldn't have bothered Francesca um, because you didn't get the job. Yeah, sorry, Francesca. You can put your name on there, but we won't be hiring you. So we've now caught up to your excited jumping ahead about Cello Girl because this is where Mm -hmm. they go to lunch. And essentially this is where like shit starts to unravel because these like accusations have now been made about Krista. This is all kind of coming Mm -hmm. to a head. Lydia now leaves a lawyer because there might be something going on with like investigation into Krista's death, into like what was going on and like the fact she's been accused of things and then goes to coffee with the coffee friend again slash mentor and he names Mm -hmm. so many conductors who have had accusations against them. Mm -hmm. And like at first when she brings it up, he's like, they, what have they said, told you about me? They can't tell you anything about, they missed their chance. I'm retired now. And you're like, (laughs) oh my God. Like all Mm -hmm. of these things of like accusations is as good as guilt nowadays and like all of these weird little talking points which obviously is just also so strange in terms of like what this movie's trying to do because it's like but they're true like this is like the seems like a scene that would be in a movie if we're meant to like not think anything good about Lydia at all like mm-hmm. really just not be able to get in her head but I've seen so many reviews of people being like it's so interesting how we're like meant to form sympathy for this bad person i'm like where like at what point in this movie was i meant to be like yeah you seem like that time when you were going to like your daughter's school to threaten a child oh my god yes saying, and kate like, blanchett speaks german is possibly so like <laughs> the worst sentence you can say out of context to a child which is like no grown-ups will believe you because i'm yeah. a grown-up and you're just a child. Yeah. i'm like mm, it's really not making you look good kate but sure so yeah basically we have the like as Jazza said, these cello auditions that we had previously get repeated because this is for the solo. And this one, I guess she kind of wins fair and square, right? Because it, the voting mm-hmm. is unanimous, they say, which means even if she'd have voted for her, she couldn't change anyone else's votes. So it mm-hmm. seems like she is actually like very talented and and absolutely deserves her place within this, which makes sense because you said, if she's already done the piece, she kind of has a leg up in a way in terms of being yeah. able to perform it. And so obviously they do solo rehearsals at Tar's secret house mm-hmm. because, you know, why would you not go to the massive like orchestra space that you will be performing in that you clearly have like just on the go you know we have to do it at home i need a place to think i need to i need to like just stroke your hair in the middle of rehearsals like the least subtle thing in the world mm-hmm. and uh so in in terms of her seducing a younger person who is under her authority tar's doing great um in terms mm-hmm. of her assistant she's not doing great because francesca has resigned without telling tar and hasn't mm-hmm. told her a lot of information that she probably should have about the fact that she is being summoned for a deposition, for example, mm-hmm. where Francesca really just wrought her revenge, has clearly figured out what's going on with Lydia mm-hmm. and is like... Hasn't deleted any hasn't of the emails. Any of these fucking emails. The In fact, has sent the emails uh, to mm-hmm. the legal team and basically has been like, I'm about to like light a match and throw it behind me as I walk away. And then we just will never see her again as a character. But she's fucking up Lydia's life for the rest of the movie, basically. We love to see it. Mm-hmm. And, and like at this point, we're getting these scenes. It's like the pace is picking up because it kind of goes from like three scenes in the first hour to like frantic pace. But there's a bunch mm-hmm. of scenes where I'm like, yes, this feels very symbolic. I'm sure I'm meant to understand what this means. And someone will tell me that the black dog symbolizes death or some shit. Yeah, it- it's a Grimm, right? It's like a Grimm yeah. from Harry Potter. Welcome yeah. to, this is actually a Harry Potter spinoff. Um, <laughs> just for, plot twist. But like, for example, the, the cellist leaves her little t- stuffed bear in the car. So Tar goes after her. And instead of an apartment building, she seems to just walk into a squat. Yeah, it's an abandoned building. And there, but there's no I one even understand squatting this. there. She's just in the middle of this. Way. And then there's like a dog in the basement that she runs away from and like falls on her face and then tells everyone she was attacked. Mm-hmm. So essentially at that point, I'm like, you know what? I don't really understand the, the rhythm of this movie. So I'm just going to decide this is act three. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I've called cancel culture is bad and social media is bad. Rowan, do we not have a party in its aftermath? We don't. Oh my god! That and and that might be the greatest reasoning behind this movie not being good. Um, is the fact that if, <laughs> listen, anyone who's if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, almost Hi. always one of the acts at least will be the a party and its aftermath. 
Mm-hmm. This movie doesn't have it. No, it doesn't. It is a staple of the genre, the and the genre, genre is gay, gay movies. Gay movies as a genre. Uh, like, and I was thinking about like, there's like a, a a reception after the talks that she does at the beginning. Is that a party? No, you could maybe do like the performance and its aftermath, like the mm. one where she rugby tackles the guy to the ground at the end. You know what? Act three is the performance and its aftermath. I like. I feel like that's very aftermath. good, Jazza. You're entirely correct at this. Point. Although very much not a party. No, um, no be, one was. No one was having a good time, at all. To be really, really clear. So yeah, she takes uh, Olga to New York with her while she's getting deposed. I guess, which is a very odd Classic. thing. I think we also. I think Olga is also taking video of her and posting it online. Was that Olga? I think so. Who knows? Oh yeah, I guess at this point I should point out like three times in the movie. It wasn't it's not it doesn't even feel like a pattern. It's like twice in the movie or three times in a movie. We just see on screen like a live stream of Tar, and then there's like weirdly I think what's it's saying live at the top, so it mm-hmm. looks like it's a live stream. It looks like a Facebook live. The scrolling comments are just a conversation between two people. It's text, yeah. So I was very confused about, I was like, this movie, for a movie that seems to hate social media so much, you'd think that they would know what social media is, but... Well, it's a boomer. This whole movie is boomers... Boom energy. ...perspective of the younger generation. and Yeah, exactly. There's also a video gets edited from that Juilliard masterclass that goes viral, which is like really out of context edited mm-hmm. to make it make her say bad. like um the nazis and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff yeah. and it's this like energy of like oh no how could they have taken this so out of context but i'm like this i guess is interesting because clearly she was not reading the room because the reactions that we see on the video are all of these people like what the fuck is this woman saying and doing this is mm-hmm. so awkward and like at the beginning of the movie, it's meant to be this like triumphant moment for her where she's like, oh, t- you fools. Mm-hmm. But also like she has actually done bad things. So it's <laughs> so it's sort of yeah. like, okay, I guess this is sort of like the Al Capone's taxes uh, version of uh, social media justice happening right now. Yeah, it's because she had, like we saw it from her perspective um, and this was her interpretation of it. She thinks that she's doing this big slam dunk and then maybe this is kind of like reality kind of like coming back this is what actually transpired but i think it's obviously like also very out of context as well because they're like using cut up clips so it's not even like a just a, a video of what she was actually doing and it's her looking on deranged so very strange but yeah it's basically they point out the fact that it's not just this video it's also the fact that they've had like an article has has also run in the new york post accusing her of like predatory behavior and she tries to defend herself by being like krista was this obsessed stalker like she was she was so into me like what on earth and then like apparently she's a really big deal because there were like protests against her book events and all this kind of stuff and like Mm -hmm. it's it's essentially again i I really just don't understand everything was so ham-fisted i was like are we what are we meant to be thinking about what's going on on the screen right now who knows but she essentially it's like a a speed run cancel culture sort of all of the things that you would say if someone was like what is cancel culture and you're like okay you lose your job you get harassed Mm -hmm. on social media people protest all of this stuff is happening she can't see her like kid anymore because her wife is like you didn't even tell me this sharon takedown this sharon takedown is one of my favorite bits of this movie like her wife basically giving her a a stern talking to Mm -hmm. in like a very understated german way i loved it I, I could watch that on loop. But yeah, she can't see her, her daughter anymore. Um, she ends up going back to the studio and then show, are we gonna are we gonna talk about the scene with the lady who then dies? Yeah, so she earlier on that, in the movie. That also, I don't, I'm sure something profound was being said here. I don't know, like the fr- fragility of mortality or some shit. Basically earlier on, one of the beeping noises that she hears, she gets like really sensitive to sounds and she can hear this beeping noise and it ends up being like the medical alert from her neighbor who's mm. looking after her elderly mother. And so one of the times when it starts beeping, the woman comes over and asks for her help because the mother has clearly like fallen and she needs to get her back onto this chair, which also is like has a bedpan underneath it. And so it's just this like very like I think one of the there's been a lot we've talked before. I don't even know if it's on the podcast or just generally about like using old women's bodies for horror means mm, and mm. how it's like really overly done and it doesn't actually feel that horrifying. But I really felt like that scene was like the only scene in this movie that made me like feel anything basically. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, 
yeah, this is really fucking horrifying that this woman is like having to look after her mother and like that relationship. And it's, it's clearly taking a toll on the woman as well. She eventually gets sectioned afterwards as well. It's taking a toll on her, but it's also taking a toll on this mother who's like naked, who's like has no dignity, but neither do, do either of the women trying to help her. Like it's just mm -hmm. this like horrible, really human scene. And I was like, I don't even know whether that was what they were trying to get me to think. So I was like, I guess if you were, well done, you got me to think one thing and feel something in this movie. But at this point in the movie, we also like, Lydia's breakdown is also kind of cut in between with, we find out that like, she gets passed down the stairwell by the corpse, the body that's being taken away mm -hmm. of what's clearly this woman. And then we, again, as Jessica said, we find out that the woman has been sectioned, like the, who's, whose mother's died. Who was caring for who her mom. Who was caring mother, for yeah. her mom in this apartment. Lydia has a breakdown with an accordion because the, <laughs> the, the family of these, of this mother and this sort of daughter that's looking after the mother come over and are basically like, we're trying to sell this flat. When do you rehearse? Because we'd like to try and book our showings around your rehearsals. And she's obviously like, I'm an artiste, I practice all the time and also, like you're trying to trick people into I mean implied like mm -hmm. you're trying to trick people into living here and there's no like discussion around any of the other stuff she could be feeling so I feel like any extrapolation onto that is just me speculating about what someone might be thinking in that moment about like I had to help this woman off the floor and this is your mother because you're mm -hmm. like the sister and you clearly don't give a shit you just want to get the money and all of this stuff but who knows she starts playing the accordion very loudly instead yeah so she has now been uh, removed from the head of the orchestra because of all of the allegations. Um, stuff isn't going very well for Lydia. She then doesn't get to perform her piece. She's instead replaced by the banker dude. Sure, yeah, why not? Uh, and she... By Mark she, Strong. Yeah, she rugby tackles him to the floor. Which actually looked like it would be really fun to see in real life. I think that I'd go to more classical concerts if there were more, uh, kind of like the chance of a of a bit more like consequences, bit of fisticuffs. She comes in looking so smart, but it's like you know that she's not. This is this is not her. Like oh, she's gonna do this, and we'll see if it goes well or not. Because everyone's already playing. <laughs> like mm -hmm. she's she makes this whole thing at the beginning about like everyone has to like wait until I'm I'm beginning to begin. They're already playing when she starts marching up. The guy's in the wings playing and his special little in the wings bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, doesn't have any reaction to her like storming past as she like absolutely decks this man who's yeah. trying to be like, now let's just all calm down, Lydia. Kapow! <laughs> yeah. And then so unsurprisingly, she's advised to, you know, by her managers, like, hmm, maybe we should like- Lie low. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't do- many public appearances we'll, we'll make we'll do like a comeback like we'll make them want you maybe stop and just go like back to your family home in staten island and vibe for a while mm -hmm. so she goes she goes to staten island we find out her real name is linda which it's so I, funny because i like, found hilarious <laughs> why would you even change it to lydia i'm sure yeah very but like not funny in a fun funny fun way where I'm like, oh yes, this has been a comedy all along, but just like, oh my fucking God. Also, what's really funny is I know both me and Jazza will have gone through and looked at like the Wikipedia for anything we might've missed. Uh -huh. This is one of those moments where I was like, I clearly am missing some shit because she watches this tape that I'm like, I'm sure I meant to know what the hell this is. I have no idea what it is. Did you know what this was when she was watching it? Uh, so it is a tape of uh, Leonard Bernstein's young people's concerts. So it was like an education. Okay, but Jazza, did you know what it was when you were no. watching it? Well, no, no, I, no, 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 <laughs> no. I, um, I understood that this was maybe something that sparked her joy and made her want to be a conductor. That's what I thought it was, and it was her kind of like. That's some top level media analysis right there, Jazza. Well, yeah, but that, what else could it? That's what. <laughs> leave me alone. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Though it's like, yeah, I get that. Like, we knew it was meant to be measurement, but I'm like, is this a thing? You know how like so, like there are these particular things, especially in like American culture or like various places where like oh, if someone had so. shown a picture of like Mister Rogers before like the biopics and stuff about him came out, I would have no idea what that was. Whereas all the mm -hmm. Americans in the audience would be like, oh my God, yeah, of course, this is like a really special. Oh, well, I, I didn't think of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm wondering if this is like a reference like that that we just don't understand. And I'm like, okay, I guess have a cry. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it, like, I, I, I don't really 
care about uh, whether or not it's a gotcha thing. <laughs> okay, yeah, listen, we were two and a half hours into this movie, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, and it was just kind of like the the stripping back of of Linda, um, mm. of Linda's <laughs> character, um, and I guess kind of like all of the things that she lost. Anyway, she runs away to the Philippines. As you do. Um, as one does, and uh, we see her being, uh, like, starting working with a new orchestra. She sits down with all of the, uh, um, in front of them, and is like, what do we think the composer's intent was with this piece and then uh we, this is such a fucking weird this is the the most wild end to a movie i think i've ever seen where she starts playing the theme to monster hunter the video game and then it pans out and in a concert hall all sat down, nice yeah. and quiet. Are loads of people. Every, absolutely, every single person in that audience is dressed up and cosplaying in Monster Hunter, and conducting and writing music for video games is very popular and incredibly lucrative. And this is meant to be like a bad thing. I don't know. Is it? This is what I'm I wondering don't about. Know. <laughs> and also, like. I don't know why you're saying that's a crazy ending, Jazza, because that was the ending that I predicted from the very beginning. Totally <laughs> logically flowed through. There's also this like one scene where she asks to try and like find a massage parlor to like get oh, rid yeah. of her jet lag. Mm -hmm. And it's like basically sent to what is it's a clearly implied to be a brothel. Mm -hmm. uh, and she is told like, hey, you go to the fishbowl, which basically is just a little mini orchestra of women. Yeah. And then the one who's basically sat in the same place as um, what cello lady sat in looks at Olga. her. Mm -hmm. Looks at her dead in the eyes. And then she goes out and vomits. Mm -hmm. And you're like, sure. And then she ends up in this concert hall, which again, it's, it's such a like... Is that meant to be the point that her ending is just like, it's not like being the fancy, you know, classical conductor, but it is like a thing that's super popular. Is it meant to be bad? It's in the Philippines. I really don't know. I'm yeah, so confused. Right? Also, I don't know what the fuck Monster Hunter is. So again, I had to look that up because at the end I was like, I guess <laughs> she's just playing music for a bunch of people dressed up in fun outfits like and then i was like oh, okay it's cosplay so. it's what it's one of the most popular video games in the world rowan sure just like, you know, we've yeah. i've never played a game in my life and you know it jazza yeah and i can't wait to make you you've not rectified that yet awesome that was the movie shall we go and <laughs> rate it yeah sure why not great We rate our movies by awarding them colours and a number of bars from the six-barred rainbow flag. Those colours are red, which represents life, orange, that represents healing, yellow, that represents sun, light, green, that represents nature, blue, that re represents light. harmony, and purple, that represents spirit. Rowan, how many bars are you going to give? Can I give it none? I'm so, this movie was just like so tedious. It was two and a half. I cannot express to you guys how it was two and a half hours long. And I watched some of it sped up. I was so bored. I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I'd had that option in the cinema. Maybe we'll do harmony because that's a music thing, maybe. Yeah, harmony's a music thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like in harmony, yes. Jesus okay. Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifth it's harmony. Um, yes, fifth harmony. We're going to give it one stripe, the fifth harmony stripe. <laughs> I wish I'd just been watching fifth harmony. I don't even like fifth harmony. I would have preferred it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it two. Okay. Because I do, I do think that Kate Blanchett's performance oh, is yeah. amazing. But this film is wild. But not in a fun way. But not in a fun way. It's It doesn't know what it's doing. And I'm also just so confused why every every critic loved this but i think that critics also have like a tendency they love a movie that is uh, a lot of effort to, mm. to go through they like they're like if i suffered through watching this at this screening i'm i'm gonna say it's good because i managed to get through it that's the critic energy yeah exactly um i've sat through it so you don't have to mm -hmm. uh, i'm gonna give it harmony uh and i guess the parks in berlin looked really nice so i'm gonna give it nature <laughs> You know so what? that's blue Fair. and that green. Dog, that dog in that basement, that's nature. That's nature. <laughs> that's nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. I'm going to be so furious if Kate Blanchett beats Michelle Yeoh for best <gasps> Truly. actress. 
yeah in Truly. the oscars i'm gonna be really really angry i like okay i will say i almost wish that that one of us had been like a massive fan of this movie and could have like explained to the other one that why it was good because i feel like Mm-mm. i here's the thing i feel like through this whole episode i've just been like i don't know maybe i'm dumb i'm not dumb that's the thing chas that's the annoying thing about it if i was an idiot then maybe i could i could forgive this but mm. i'm not stupid <laughs> if only if only and I'm like, am i thinking too much about it no and if and like every article is like about the many meanings and how it's so like complex. I'm like, just cause you put a load of shit in a movie and you don't seem to have any clear vision about what you're trying to say, that doesn't then make it complex and good. You know what I mean? Like I've seen, I've seen pieces of media where the, where the whole point is that they're trying to complicate things for you and they're trying to not give you simple answers. And they're trying to say like, hey, even as the writer, I don't know what the answer to this is. Like I've mm-hmm. seen that happen. Like. I May Destroy You is a classic example of that. That's like Mm -hmm. fucking fantastic and was written by someone who was like going through something and and didn't have the answers about something that's like about trauma, about power, about all this stuff. Mm. But that's like actually made part of it in an interesting way Mm -hmm. as opposed to whatever this was. So it's it's a no from me. Plus that, one. I don't know if you uh, could have told that for the rest of it. But if anyone who is listening did really enjoy it and are like, Rowan, Jazza, you don't understand. This is why it was good. And you missed all these references or like you, this was the whole point. And like, please let yeah, us know. Yeah, if you liked it, I actually explain would quite yourself. like to hear from someone who did agree with so many critics who were just like, it's so good. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed these episodes, we ask that you consider supporting us on Patreon. As a patron, you can join our queer movie club where we do watch-alongs on our Discord every single month, Uh, but that is just the bare minimum of what you get, my darlings. At higher levels, you can also get our movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter with a curation of all of the gay shit we find on the internet. And we want to say thank you again to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us at the highest tier on Patreon. Rainbow Parents, we thank you so much for your support once more. Make sure you're following... Uh, the podcast and subscribe to it on your podcatcher of choice so that you are notified about when the next episode comes up comes up or out we have been jazza john and rowan ellis we are edited by the incomparable julia shafini julia again so sorry and we're also part of multitude find more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions uh bye hopefully we'll come back with a better movie soon Ha ha ha.